Thanks, Chad. And thank you for the way that you have already encouraged me this morning through your, through your worship, through your singing, through the praises that you've been offering up to God. I, I hope that the time that we have already spent has been encouraging to you and uplifting to you. Uh, I just couldn't help, but there was a few of those songs. I just had to sit there and, and just listen and to uh, just take in uh, the moment and the words and the beauty of the um, arrangements. Thanks to Tim for sharing with us during our communion time about the goodness of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's great to be able to sit together with your family, to share in communion, to, to share in praise, and, and to be here in worship. And let's just be honest, a lot of you needed to come and worship today because of things that you might have said or thought yesterday afternoon for about a three-minute period. I was at Erlanger waiting for some of you. I was. I, I was there. I, I just knew that there were going to be some of you. I was going to get the phone call, and it was going to be preacher. I was doing fine right up until that final touchdown. And, and, and I thought that it was going to be most of the Tennessee fans that I was going to be meeting at the emergency room. And, and then, no, it was the Georgia fans that were going to come pouring in. And my goodness gracious, wow. I, I'm just surprised some of you are able to get out of bed this morning. Thank you for coming and being here after what was and very emotional afternoon, right? Um, did you hear me say something that my grandmother used to always say right there, by the way? Goodness gracious. Yeah, did, did you catch that? Anybody, anybody still use that phrase? Anybody say that? Oh, we got some good Southern people in the room. That's good. That's good. Something happens and you just say, well, goodness gracious. It's like, well, where did that come from? Who came up with that, with, with that idea? Goodness gracious. But yet I've heard that all my life. And it's one of those phrases that is just so multi-purpose. You use it when something, when something bad happens. Well, goodness gracious. Mm, 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 mm. You use it when something good happens. Well, goodness gracious, my goodness, goodness gracious, my, my. It's so multi-purpose and you can just throw it out and, and use it. You wonder where do those things come from and, and why do they stick with us like that? Well, I hope that this whole idea of goodness will carry with you today. I hope it's going to carry with you because I've got some good news for you. And the good news is that God has given you everything that you need for life and for godliness, for godly living. Everything that you need to live a godly life, God has provided for you. In fact, it's the grand event. And the grand event is God's great expectation for your life. That you and I will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That we would live with his thoughts, that his words would be on our tongue, that his heart would well up with compassion within us. It's the grand event, and it's something very special that's taking place. And it's not just something that's going on in one individual's life, but it's happening throughout our congregation. As we are looking through the book of 2 Peter, if you'd like to open up to that chapter in your Bible— 2 Peter chapter 1, encourage you to do that. We've been for the last few weeks looking at a few of the different, few of the different ideas that Peter presents here as he talks about this grand event that's taking place in the lives of Christians. And one of the things that we've learned so far is that discipleship is an active process. It's not passive. It is something that you have to be involved in. God is not going to zap you. 
God is not going to zap you and all of a sudden you are going to be this great disciple. This individual that is always on point, always has purpose, always living through faith, able to forgive and able to live in a way that honors God fully. It doesn't just happen like this. It's an active process that requires you to take those things that God has given and to place them into your life. But the good news is you're not on your own. I'm not on my own. This grand event that's taking place is something that we do together because discipleship is communal. It's not solitary. There's a reason that we come together in opportunities just like this. There's a reason that we get together in Bible study. The reason that we're a part of the different EB groups that we have is so that we can together become better disciples. It's so that together we can walk closer to Jesus. It's so that together we can discover what it means to truly be Christian. It's a communal process. And yet we go through all of this and we talk about these things and there's still something that's there in the back of our mind that tells us, you know what, I just don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can live the life of a disciple. And that's why we said that discipleship has to be believed before it can be lived. You have to actually believe that if Jesus calls you and says, listen, I really think, I really trust, I really believe that you can live the life that I've called you to, that we can actually do that. That if I've told you to turn the other cheek, you can do that at the office and you can endure and you can succeed. If I've told you to forgive, you can do that within your home and you can be able to put relationships back together, and there can be a healing that goes on within your family. I really believe that that can take place. The life that Jesus has called his disciples to live is not some fairy tale life. It's not a life for only the most pious. It's not for the only for those who can somehow, some way, put off all the earthly desires and focus solely on Jesus. The life of discipleship that Christ has called is for everyone. And he truly believes that if he's called you, that you can live it. You can be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the grand event. And so Peter would write and he would say, listen... His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so he would say, I want you to add to your faith. I want you to add to the faith that you have. And I want you to add goodness. I want you to add goodness to your faith. I want you to add something that is going to change your very essence. When you ask somebody what is goodness, oftentimes what you hear is, you hear about stories of children who make cupcakes and take over to the neighbors. You hear about coat drives like the one that, that we are doing, Watts that's coming up here in about a month's time. All of these different activities that go on, and they're wonderful things and they should be done, but the goodness that Peter is talking about here is something that is different from that. You see, the word that Peter uses when he writes to these early Christians for goodness is not a word that means good deeds. It doesn't mean that you need to add to your faith good deeds. That you need to go to your closet and you need to pull out all the coats that are not roach holes. Is that what you said? Really? I mean, moths I can understand, but, but roaches? I don't want to go to Sean's house. I, I don't want to see what lives in his garage. I really don't. Um, but Peter uses this word, arete, 
and he uses it, and it, it's, it's not a word that means go and get your coats. It's not a word that means go and take cupcakes to your neighbor. It's not about going to the hospital to visit someone who is ill. It's often translated as virtue. It means essential, intrinsic goodness. It depicts a goodness that lives in someone even when he's sleeping, even when no one's around. It's a goodness that lives for the benefit of others. It's just who she is. It's who he is. They're just a, they're just a good person. Now understand, there, there was a word available for Peter that he could have used in his language that would have talked about kindness expressed in action. That's normally what we think of when we think of goodness, kindness expressed in action. And, and if Peter wanted to convey that, there was a word that meant just that. But that's not the word that he used. Instead, he uses a word that describes not doing good, but being good. It's something that we are. It's not about how we look or how we feel. It's the character of God within us. That's not the first time that he uses the word. He also uses it just a couple of verses earlier in verse 3 when he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own, notice it, glory and what? Goodness. By his own goodness. God calls and provides by his own goodness. And it's out of his goodness that God acts. You see, who God is is preceded by what God does. Or who God is precedes what God does. His actions derive from his character. And this is the way that Peter wants to present this idea of, listen, I, I need you to be good. I need you to be good people, he says. And I want you to be this because of who your father is. Because of who God is. And so he links these two ideas, glory and goodness. And I think that he uses this for a reason. See, if you go back to your Old Testament and you, you flip through, you come to a text that's in Exodus. In Exodus chapter 33, there's an occasion where God is very upset with his people. And he's about to bring punishment down upon them. But Moses pleads for God to relent. And they have this discussion together and, and, and God agrees with Moses and God changes his mind, the text shows us. And then Moses gets really bold and he says, listen... I want you to show me your glory. I would like for you to show me your glory. And here's how God responds. He says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Moses says, I want to see your glory. God says, all right, I'll show you my goodness. Moses says, I want to see your very essence. I want to see who you are. I want to know who you are. And God's response is, listen, I will allow you to see who I am. But you will see it through my goodness. So in Exodus 34 and verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. You see, when Peter speaks of God's glory and goodness, I think he's thinking about that mountaintop experience between Moses and God. When Moses says, I want to see your glory, and God says, I'll show you my goodness. And in showing you my goodness, I will proclaim my name. Because if you know my name, then you know that I am good. And if you know that I am good, then you know my name. Peter would experience something similar to this. 
There was a time in his life where he and James and John followed Jesus up onto their own mountain. And there they are greeted by Moses and Elijah, but this, the, all the focus and all of the attention is on Jesus as he is there in the presence of his Father. And his whole appearance changes. And the glory of God is all around him. And he has this Moses moment as he hears the voice of God say, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And later on, Peter would recall that day. And here's what he would say later on in 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the from the on high, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Just like Moses, Peter says, listen, I was on a mountain and I experienced the glory of God. And because I experienced the glory of God, he says, I know I experienced his goodness. God's goodness and God's glory in Scripture are looked at as being the same. To know one is to know the other. And to know God's glory is to know His name. And to know His name is to know that He is good. His goodness is His Godness. When you think about what is it that makes up our Father? What is it that makes up God? What is that one character? And we talk about how that God is love. And you say, well, where does that come from? It comes from the fact that God is good. And so we sing, God is so what? Good. He's good. His goodness is his godness. And so Peter then says, all right, church, all right, disciples, add to your faith goodness. It's more than just a simple exhortation. It's nothing less than to enter and experience the very personhood of God. See, Peter's not saying, listen, I want you to add to your faith more good deeds. I want you to add to your faith more pious works of righteousness. He says, I want you to add to your faith God himself. I want you to be godly. I want you to be good. Remember in the Gospels, there's a story of the rich young ruler, a man that's wealthy and pious. He's a decent man. And, and he runs up to Jesus and Mark says that he falls to his knees and he blurts out and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When Matthew conveys this particular idea, he says, listen, what good thing must I do? Jesus will ask him, why do you call me good? Don't you know that there is only one who is good? He says, why do you ask what is good? There is only one who is good. And yet for us, usually doing good is more attractive than being good. Did you know that? Doing good is more attractive than being good. But yet anybody can do good things. You don't have to be a good person to do good things. You don't have to be a good person to to help someone. You don't have to be a a good person to show compassion. You don't have to be a a good person to, to love small children and to pet little puppy dogs. I mean, when you look back in our most recent history, Adolf Hitler is usually put up as the individual who would be the personification of evil in our time. And yet you know that he liked to have his picture made with children and puppies? 
He would have his picture made with, with children and, and small animals to show his goodness, he would say. You don't have to, to be good to, to do good. Wanting to know a good thing, we must, wanting to know a good thing, we must be able to, to get deeper than that. We must be able to go deeper, not just wanting to know how to do more good, but how that we can actually be good. And so Jesus finally answers the man and he says, all right, you want to know the good things you can do? And he goes through this list of what some of the things that we know as the Ten Commandments. And the man goes, listen, I've done all of those things since my youth. And Jesus says, all right, fine. Here's something else for you to do that's good. Go and take everything that you own, sell it, and give it to the poor. Because that's what we would call a good thing, Right? And the text says that the man goes away sad. He walks away sad in defeat because he can't do it. And of course not, because you know, understand that apart from God, no one does anything good. Read through the New Testament book of Romans, focus in on, on chapter 3, then turn over into chapter 7, and you realize that apart from God, nothing good lives in us. And trying to do good first is almost doomed to futility without being good first. So you say, all right, how do you do it? How do we do this? What are we going to do? Peter says, I want you to add to your faith and I want you to add goodness. I want you to add the very essence of God to your faith. And yes, it might cause you to do more good things, but more importantly, it's going to change the very person that you are. And that's what I want you to focus on. So how do we do it? A few suggestions. The first one is that I think we need to become true worshipers. We need to become true worshipers. Remember that Jesus would say, listen, the first and greatest commandment is this. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So this is the first thing, this idea, this focus that God is preeminent, that God is the one that is worthy of worship, that God is the one that I'm going to live for. It is in loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that we are freed then and empowered to treat our neighbors with the same love that we have for God. Now, Peter would use this word for goodness again. He would use it in the first letter that he wrote to the Christians. This time it's in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. And this is what he says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, he uses this word here. And when you look, I've got it bolded here on the screen where it says the praises of him. Maybe your translation, translation says his excellencies. The word that is used there is the word that we've been talking about for goodness. Where it says you are going to be able to declare it's the goodness, the virtue, the very essence of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. See, it's God's goodness that brings us from darkness to light. And his purpose was that for us now and forever that we might praise him, that we might be able to sing anthems to his excellence. He chose us and he made us his own simply because he is good. And we fulfill our chosenness, we fulfill our priestliness and our holiness Whenever it is that we declare aloud the very goodness of God. I like the way one translation words it. Go to the next slide. It says, we've been called from darkness to light so that we can show others the very goodness of God. You say, why do we exist? You say, what's the Sprainer Church of Christ all about? Showing the goodness of God. 
You know, I was bragging this week. I had the chance to uh, eat lunch with a, a friend of mine. Haven't seen him in uh, a couple of years. And he was saying, so how are things going, you know, at church? And, and so we began to talk and, and, and things just started flowing out. And I was, I was talking about baptisms that we've had. And I was talking about different ministries that we're currently involved in. And telling him about the snack packs and these 4,000 bags. And we've got the coats and we've got watts coming up and how... You know, different individuals I've heard that are talking about, hey, listen, I hear about some great things that are going on at your church. And I told him, I said, I said, I, I, we can just sit here all lunch and I can just tell you about great things that the people who are part of the family of God at East Brainerd are doing. I said, but the best thing I can tell you so we can eat our chicken together is that God is good. I said, that's the best thing I can say. That God is good. And so we worship Here's the next thing. Want to add goodness to your life? Then follow the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Living by faith, following the Spirit cultivates goodness in your life. Paul would write to the church and he would say, listen, the fruit of the Spirit, and he would begin to list different attributes that would appear in people's life. And you know what he lists as one of the fruits? Goodness. He said, here's one of the fruits when the Spirit of God is living within you. You see, goodness doesn't need to be pounded into us or coaxed out of us. It springs forth from simply keeping in step with the Spirit. It's not that we pull out some workbook and we go through some kind of 12-step program. It's not that we enroll ourselves in some course. It's by listening to the very Spirit of God. Because what is God's nature? Goodness. What do we know when we learn God's name? Goodness. What do we know when we see his glory? Goodness. And so because the Spirit of God lives inside each and every one of those who are his disciples, then the very goodness that Peter says add to your life is there if we would just allow the Spirit to produce it. See, we're being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory. Glory and goodness. God's name spoken. God's character revealed. Here's the final thing. We need to find some good models. I don't mean like America's top model. We need to find some good models imitating those individuals who are good. Imitating those who are good, who are living out that biblical imitation. It's more than just mimicry. It's more than just going through the motions and repeating the gestures. But repeatedly the Bible calls us to imitate, to find a person, find two or three who resemble Jesus and then begin to pattern your life after them. John would write to the church and he says, dear friends, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. And so you look around and you say, do I know any good people? There's no any good people. During um, our marriage, Tanya and I, when we have been at different congregations, we have known different people that we don't call them at home by their name. We call them Mr. Good Man or Mr. Good Lady because that's what they have demonstrated to us. Where we have seen the very goodness of God living in their lives and we talk about him, we say, oh, that's Mr. Good Man. Did you see what Mr. Goodman said today? Did you, hear, did you hear about Mr. Good Lady? And we know who that is because of the conversations that we have had. And we see those individuals and we want to pattern our lives and live after them. And we do that. 
You know, I look over and I see Dr. Hayes sitting here to my left, and he's one of our Mr. Good Men. He is. And he's one of those that I want to be able to pattern my life after and, and, and my faith and, and my trust and to be able to have a heart of God that I see that's demonstrated in his life. And there are other individuals who are here, individuals who you have known, who have gone through the fire, who have lived it out, who truly have believed, who have sacrificed almost all for the sake of the cross. And you look at those individuals and you say, you know what, that's someone that I want to be like. Because I know they, they're trying to be like Jesus. They're not perfect. They don't always say and do the right things. But there is an inner goodness that's a part of them. And because of that, I want, I want to have it. You know, most of us, most of us, to use Jesus' words, are not, we're not wolves and sheep's clothing. Instead, we are sheep that, we're sheep in dog's clothing. I saw one author that said, we're just sheep in dog's clothing, concealing our docility and waywardness beneath the disguise of master-pleasing eagerness. We look better than we are. Overperformance becomes a subterfuge, a showcase of energy that hides a mother load of apathy, a display of virtue that is just that, a display. You see, at some point in time, we begin to buy into the lie that if we do good, we must be good. If I can just do enough good things, if I can just do enough good things, then people will think I'm good. And, and maybe if I do enough good things, God will even think that I am good. Yet when you read through Scripture, that's totally the opposite of what is portrayed. God did not send his son because you or I were good. He sent his son because of his goodness and because he had mercy upon us and because he wanted us to be changed into the image of his son and experience the goodness that is present there. Man, it just gets so tiring. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've worn yourself out trying to do good in order to make others think that you were better than what you really are. I don't know if there is guilt in your life in one area, in one realm, in one compartment that you try to keep hidden. And so to cover all that up, you do a lot of good over here in this compartment because you hope that the good is somehow going to outweigh the bad. I don't know if you've gotten tired and frustrated with doing that though. That show of virtue. I know it really weighed on Peter's life. After Jesus had been crucified, Peter goes back and, and he starts fishing again. See, Peter had walked with the Lord for three years, and he had seen the very glory of God. He had experienced God's goodness. And when he had a chance to be good, to demonstrate the goodness that was within him, when he had the opportunity to stand up for his Lord, he had failed not once, not twice, but three times at least that we know of. And it broke him on the inside. And so he goes back to fish. Because that's what he is after all, a fisherman. Have you ever looked at your life and you, you had this goal and you had this expectation and, and, you, and you wanted to serve God and you wanted to, to be good 
and, and you wanted to be the mentor and you wanted others to follow you and you had this direction you wanted to go and you began to follow it and, and things seemed like it was going well and then in a moment of weakness, in a time of temptation, whatever it might be, the inside of you instead of the goodness coming out, it was the evil that came out and you end up, you made a decision and you fell. Maybe you were an elder at one time and for whatever reason, the life choices that you made, you stepped aside from that because you said, I'm not worthy to lead God's people. Maybe you were someone who was constantly bringing people to, to Christ and then and you had that moment and it was, a, it was a time of weakness and you would never go back and do it again. You would never go there again. You would never say that. You would never do it. But it happened and now you look at yourself and you say, who am I to tell people to come to Jesus? Because all they're going to do is throw right back up at me. I know what you did. I know where you've been. I know what you said. And so maybe you, just like Peter, went back to fishing. And you said, I'm... I'm just a fisherman. Just a fisherman. You can read about Peter fishing at the end of the Gospel of John and Jesus appears to his disciples again and Peter jumps out of the boat. He jumps out of the boat and he, he races to shore to be in the presence of Jesus. And while he is there sharing a meal... Jesus asked him, he says, listen, Peter, do you love me? And he says, oh, I know I love you. And he tells him three different times, listen, I want you to feed my sheep. But I'm just a fisherman. I want you to feed my sheep. But I, I'm just a fisherman, Lord. Listen, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to, to nurture. I want you to care for. I want you to lead. I want you to be a mentor. I want you to be a writer. I want you to be a preacher. I want you to change the world. But I'm just a... Say it, Peter. Say what you really feel. I'm just good for nothing. I'm just good for nothing. Did your grandma ever use that phrase? Did grandpa ever say somebody or something was just good for nothing? Have you ever said it about yourself? There on the boat. After the failure. After stepping away. Oh, you're still on the outskirts of the kingdom. You're still close enough enjoying the grace of God. But you don't want to get too close because you just don't think you're worthy because of what has happened in the past. And so you just look at yourself and say, I'm good for nothing. My marriage fell apart. Lost my job. Betrayed friends. Hurt my family. I'm good for nothing. Hear the message of the Lord this morning. Add to your faith goodness. Goodness. Because you're right, on your own you are good for nothing. Left to our own devices, we are good for nothing. 
All of our hopes and dreams, all of our schemes, all of the best laid plans, all of our acts of piety, good for nothing unless the goodness of God is within us. And so I want to call you this morning. I want to call you to realize that you are no longer, you're no longer good for nothing. I want you to understand that that you are good for God. You're good for God. And that should be good enough. Do we need to pray for you? Can we pray for you to strengthen you, to encourage you this morning because of the fact that maybe as you've looked at your life and you've said, I'm good for nothing, and you've stepped aside from your discipleship, and we need to pray and encourage that you might be brought closer into the Lord. Can we rejoice with you being baptized into Christ this morning to receive the goodness of God into your life, to breathe in the Spirit of God that He might live out from you? Chad's going to come and lead us. And we're going to sing how we are ours no more. We've been bought with blood. Good for nothing? Mm -mm. But good for God. And that's good enough. Let's stand and praise Him.